0: Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Mark Metry. Mark is founder of Growcast, author, of Screw Being Shy, host of Global Top 100 Podcast, Humans 2.0, and the keynote speaker. Mark, thanks for your time today. I'm so excited to talk with you. I appreciate you being here.
2: Tanya, it's a pleasure to have me and and I'm super passionate about the education system and and education in general. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I know uh, high school wasn't the best time for you, and I'm going to ask you to share that story in a few minutes. But before we dive into that, I, I want to check in and see kind of how you mentally prepare yourself for talking about things that have been traumatic in the past. And, and I don't want to compare our situations by any yeah, means. of course. Um, I lost my daughter four and a half years ago, and it's a story that I share when I speak a lot um, when I'm on podcasts or, or talking with audiences. And every time I do it, I'm completely wiped out afterwards. I'm emotionally mm-hmm. drained. So I'm wondering if you have any tips or how do you prepare yourself for having those conversations and giving those talks?,
2: this is such a phenomenal question. It's something that I've been <laughs> been asking myself, and um, you know it's interesting because one of the reasons why I wrote my book, Screw Being Shy is um, for many, many different reasons. But one of them was just like, I really like talking about social anxiety and shyness because it's one of the things that held me back from achieving my potential for almost a decade. And I know how painful it is for people who experience that. And so I wanted to write a book for that. But but the other reason is because I honestly just wanted to sort of like seal a bow on this chapter in my life. And... Writing a book about it definitely, for sure, helped, and I feel like in you know, in some degrees, like you need time to be able to move past something. I also think like expressing something, putting it out there in the real world, and then being like, you know, like th- this is part of my story. I feel like it's better. But I think I, in regarding your question, I think I really experienced like the negative <laughs> side effects of this when my book was um, was coming out. In, uh, in March, like when the world was basically shutting down at that time and a month before I was doing like this whole like press run media. And so I was basically a guest on like every podcast. And I don't know how many podcasts I did, but I probably did. I was a guest on maybe over like a hundred podcasts in the course of like a month and a half. (laughs) And so like there were literally days where. I literally had like like 10 podcast interviews that I was doing. And so after that, I definitely burnt out. I definitely felt what you said in terms of like that emotional exhaustion of telling your story. And so I honestly kind of feel like because I've written it down in the and it's like a book now, because I've been able to like share it hundreds and literally hundreds and hundreds of times. I feel like in a lot of ways, a lot of like the deep uh, emotions that I had tied to it, are now sort of uh, more comfortable. And when I'm able to tie it, I always talk about it in terms of me personally, my story in the sense of like, like what happened was really terrible, but, you know, I I mean, it's like a happy story after. And so I always try to like frame it at the end for good, but I know that they may not work with, you know, every story. And so I, I think just like expressing it. And then also too, like, for example, one thing I've learned is, before I do any kind of like podcast or something, I always try to do, I always try to like just take a break before what I'm doing. I try to never like jump into a podcast interview right away. If I'm like doing something different and I always just try to like take like some deep breaths or go for a walk or something and just like try to reset my brain. And so yeah, it, it's difficult, but it's something that I'm, I'm like thinking about right now. I've, uh, I've had this conversation with a lot of people and I think the reality is, is like, Again, for my example, if you're like in this, you know, like industry, all the stuff that I talk about, it's going to be heavy sometimes, you know, and I, and I get people who email me and, you know, who message me all the time and, you know, tell me some pretty heavy stuff. And so, you know, that's always a, a reaction too, right? And so like, I think the more you talk about your story, the more other people are going to come to you with, with their vulnerability. And that also can take a toll. And so there's, it's, I really think it's like an art. It's like a subtle art. It's like a finesse of like really being able to empathize with someone, but then also like having certain boundaries emotionally, not even with them per se, but with yourself and how you perceive people. And so it can be difficult. And then I also think there's also like many factors too that, like if someone's listening to this, they should take into account, you know, whether they're they they they're like a certain person, they come from a certain culture, maybe they grew up in a certain area of the world where um, they may experience sort of emotions more heavily, compared to like a different society that may not necessarily be that open with their emotions. Um, and so I think it's also just like having that self awareness. Uh, like I know for myself, like I'm a very sensitive person, you know, and so I, I always make sure to just like set up the right boundaries emotionally with myself whether that comes with like other people and them reaching out to me people that I don't really know and their story because I know that if I just think about that I'll, I'll get like really sad and it's it'll be really heavy and sometimes you need to do that you know and so I think it, I think it really is sort of like a subtle art it's a finesse maybe maybe a year from now we can have this conversation again and I could I could have a better. Uh, answer for you. But it's something that I'm going, it's something that I'm dealing with right now trying to figure out. Um, I mean, I'd love to hear your take on it. It's definitely challenging for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard you say several things that it somewhat gets easier over time. And the more you tell the story, the m- a little bit easier that it gets to tell and to share. Also talking about, you know, different cultures and knowing yourself and and putting up those boundaries where you need to between your story and taking on stories of other people, especially, you know, if you're an empath, all of that emotion from others can, can really make an impact. And that becomes where, you know, those boundaries and that self care is really important. You know, I found, I found with dealing with grief and dealing with trauma that I, I really had two options and I could, curl up in bed and i could eat brownies for breakfast every morning which i did for a while in the closet so my other kids didn't see me eating brownies cuz that's a bad example <laughs> um, but you know i could do that or i could take what i had learned from that experience and share it with the world and use it to help other people and while it's the harder path it's definitely the one that's more rewarding and makes me feel like the lessons that i've learned can be useful for others and so that's yeah. It, it still it doesn't help with the emotional part though. Um, yeah. But thank you. I love
2: that. <laughs> I love, not, not that, but the two like the two options that you described. I think that's yeah. really true, and I think I you know I think at the end of the day it's just like I don't know what it is, but you know if you're experiencing this it's just like you, you reach a certain level of pain where you just like you whether it's due to desperation or what well, you're just like I can't take this anymore. Like I can't, I can't keep doing this. And um, and I know that's that's the way it was for me. But you know it can be really challenging, and it still is challenging. You know, and the the challenge never really ends. But if you can figure out better ways to manage it, then maybe you know we can navigate it easier in our lives. But yeah, it's a major problem. And like the reality is, is that this is such a major part of life. And I never learned this, you know, just like by any of the traditional education means. And yet it's such a central part. Uh, you know, of your life, and, 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 you know, it's, it's so important. And, you know, like just speaking with, with a lot of different kinds of people from different fields, from like doctors to psychologists to leaders, like this is such an important topic that people need to learn about so that they can gain at least some awareness, some sense of, um, you know, like they can learn tools, learn ways to improve, manage it in their life because it's, uh, it truly is one of the biggest problems and and so yeah thank you for for sharing that i appreciate it
1: Oh, thank you but i do i do want to shift into more of the story behind all of that and coming growing up in high school you were shy you were bullied you didn't do well in school and i'm going to have you share more of that experience with us but you also created one of the top minecraft servers and found other ways to really explore, you know, the things that you love to do. So can you share more of your high school experience with us and what that was like? And did you get credit for your Minecraft server?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for asking. No, I did not get credit for my Minecraft server. I wish. (laughs) So, you know, for me to tell you about high school, I have to go back a little bit. So basically, I'm a son of immigrants and my parents, they came to America. They moved to the East Coast. They came here with barely any money. You know, we lived in like some small apartment building in like the inner city. And I remember basically like in elementary school around like third grade, uh, entering third grade, my parents got better jobs and we moved from the inner city towards uh, like a much, uh, like a more rural town. And I remember mm-hmm. we moved to this small town with like five, 6,000 people in it. And uh, you know, it was interesting place for sure. But one of the really unique parts about this place is that there was no racial diversity whatsoever. And, you know, I, for the most part, it was maybe me and maybe one or two or three other families in the entire town uh, who who looked different. And so I also remember this time in America, it was like post 9-11. And so I, if you were an Arab or if you were Middle Eastern, if you were Muslim, if you were, you know, any yeah. of these categorical things. Um, that's where you felt a lot of uh, discrimination and racism. And so I remember just being a kid and being put in this environment where nobody physically looked like me. Um, I wasn't accepted. I started to, you know, face different things from bullying to racism to mental, physical violence, threats, things like that. And so that was, yeah, that was basically, uh, you know, my life from elementary school maybe until the end of middle school, beginning of high school. And so the effects of this was that I remember at that time when I had just experienced this, I remember my mind looking back at it now. I remember my mind just like slipped into this mentality where I just felt like I could no longer be myself. And I just felt like everywhere I went into, I was always the outsider. I was always the person who was perceived as not good enough or less valued. And so I was just a kid in the back of the classroom. I was the kid who had no friends, who walked around by himself, who sat by himself in the cafeteria, library, whatever, didn't participate, wasn't a part of any kind of groups, organizations, sports, anything like that. And so by the time I was in high school, this was mostly basically my my identity. This was my entire life. This is what I had known. And maybe I would say I had like one, two, or three friends who I wouldn't even necessarily call them my friends, but they were people who I just like sort of tried to surround myself with so that people didn't think that I was a complete loser and a loner uh, by just walking around. And so, yeah, you know, that was my life. And in turn, I think starting from maybe about middle school, I started to discover the internet. And I remember just like using computers in my school libraries at my library, Mm -hmm and i remember just like discovering different things i don't i don't really remember anything crazy but i also played a lot of video games too um and so i remember like discovering youtube i remember like watching youtube videos all kinds of stuff like early back in the internet and i remember probably like video games were like one of the few places where i felt like i could connect um and i felt like i was such a like a loser in in my real life um, and the only way that I could connect with people was maybe through the internet and through video games. And so I played a lot of video games. I ended up starting like different YouTube channels where I would like record myself. I think one YouTube channel I had, I had like 35,000 subscribers. And that was like my way that I tried to connect. And then eventually I found this game called Minecraft. You know, I started this. Um, it was honestly started it randomly. You know, I started this server, which is just like. It's just like a place where where more than one person can play on the game. This game Minecraft that's really popular. And so I just like discovered it, and and I just kind of like Googled how to do different things, and and I people started joining, and and I started to get better. Started to like put in microtransactions, build out a website, do different things like that. I think like after a year, a year and a half, we had like five million people enter our server. It was like some crazy thing, and it was just kind of random. And so, you know, also at that time, I also remember being able to basically become pretty financially independent, going from a place where my parents, you know, never really, um, you know, had uh, a ton of money. Me never really seeing probably more than like two hundred dollars. All of a sudden, just step into like thousands and tens of thousands of dollars, and, and do like this awesome thing. And so, yeah, I remember when I experienced that. That was quite interesting. Because I had always thought in the back of my mind that, like, eventually one day when I go to college and I, you know, do some kind of studying to get a job, like at some company and I, you know, get like a good salary, then that's when my life will be good and and I'll be happy. And, you know, it was a super weird feeling because I, I think I was like 16 at the time. And, You know, I had, I felt like I had already achieved this level of financial success of like what the world was like, like school and my path was trying to get me to do. But I felt like I had achieved that early and it was, and it was doing something that I actually enjoyed. But I remember all of a sudden feeling like super confused in my life and and just like asking myself, what is happiness? What is sort of success? And I had never really asked myself those questions before. And so, yeah, it was just like a really confusing time that just sort of like had me wandering, not really understanding life, not really knowing what to do, feeling like even more of an outsider. And so, yeah, it was qu- it's quite interesting, for sure. Honestly, when I look back at it, it kind of feels like a movie, it's like a different chapter. <laughs> you
1: accidentally built a server that attracted 5 million people, brought in thousands of dollars and still didn't see yourself as successful because it's just not what most of us as americans are raised to view as success i know me growing up you grow up you get a job you go work for a company that's like what you do and so i did that i was like well how do i do
2: (laughs) yeah seriously Uh, and i i think the biggest thing is like yeah i think you said it right i i had i had terrible grades at school i had i was not athletic i was not like one of those like drama uh kids i was not a musical person i was not a artistic person. And so I think in a lot of ways, I didn't I feel like I didn't fit into any of these buckets uh, that are sort of perceived as successful. And so I think in a lot of ways that helped me. And I think obviously that hurt me. I think it helped me because it almost just kind of felt like I was losing all of the time. I was terrible at school. I was terrible at socializing. I was terrible at all these things. It kind of gave me a sense of like, okay, if I know I'm going to fail, then might as well just like do it. And I think a lot of people like have fear around that and they're like, Oh, I don't want to fail. But for me, it was just like, I'm a, I'm always a failure. Like I've been a failure my entire life. So let me just try to pull the trigger on this. Let me try to do that. Let me try to do this. And, and like the reality is, is before I had that successful Minecraft server, man, I think I had probably launched maybe over like 20. Different random websites. I had launched a Minecraft server before then that totally failed. I like was making apps and different kinds of websites, and I think every single one of those failed. Um, but this was the one that you know really succeeded. I mean, it's kind of random, and I just think it has to do a lot with like how I perceive myself, and it really just led me to like eventually discovering what it actually means to live a life that I'm proud of, a life that I'm happy. I mean, the reason why I do it is because I'm trying to share this with whether someone who's older or people who are younger, you know, because there's so many of these things where, you know, we're just told that if we have like a million followers on social media or if we have a certain amount of money or if we have a certain kind of body that we saw on Instagram and all these different things, then we'll be happy and successful. And I mean, I think for everyone, but I think I'm just like a classic sort of example for my generation in terms of like falling into that trap of trying to, like, gain money, fame, things like that, when in reality, you know, I was just searching for sort of just self-worth. You know, I had no self-esteem, and that's really what I was after. And so, yeah, it's cool to be able to do these things now, now that I at least understand these things. I always have problems, and it can be hard. I definitely learned a lot, for sure, so I'm grateful.
1: Yeah, (laughs) you have. And so you, you weren't a great student, but you were a great learner. You were really good at learning things. And you had what I'm going to call the freedom of failure in that Mm. if if you don't have any fear of failure, there's so much that you can do. And that's always the question, Mm. right? Like, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And you kind of came at it from, well, I'm going to fail. So what can I do? Which still opens up that freedom to be able to do things. But despite not learning to be a good student in high school, you were still an amazing learner. And you've learned a ton, you know, definitely about the internet, (laughs) but also, you know, about a healthy diet and adequate sleep and how Mm. to feed your brain and how to shift your biochemistry and overcome what a a lot of us call like the animal brain or the thinking brain and how to turn off Mm. that fight or flight when you don't need it and move into something else. So how, you know, how did you discover these things or, or how did you really become a good learner?
2: Yeah. So, you know, for me, what really happened was, so I'm, I'm kind of feeling like this lost way in high school. And I go off to college and I'm 18 years old. And a lot of these things just sort of start clicking in my brain. And I basically start realizing that when I have social anxiety, which I never knew beforehand, I, you know, was never taught anything about mental health. Um, and then I also just like started to look at my future. And I was, you know, in college at that time studying computer science. Um, which is something I really didn't want to do. And so I just, you know, I just sort of like entered in the space where I kind of feel like I hit rock bottom, where I just felt like a lot of like, for example, like the video games that I was playing, a lot of like the the junk food that I was eating. I just felt like a lot of that almost just like seemed numb. And, uh, and I got to a place when I was 18 where I gained a tremendous amount of weight. Um, I was overweight. I kind of felt like I was seriously depressed for the first time in my life. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. I couldn't go to sleep at night. My lifelong social anxiety kind of transformed into social isolation. And you know, for one of the first times in my life, I started to really think and, and like fantasize about like suicide, about uh, not being alive. And I just felt like I was in a spot where I wasn't sleeping anymore. I just felt like I was in so much pain. And so eventually, you know, I reached, I really reached this moment of rock bottom where I was seriously in so much pain and I was basically on the verge of, of being suicidal and really just like hitting this, this sense of desperation where I was basically like, Mark, you've been living uh, your entire life this way. And like clearly it's definitely not working. And I just reached a spot where I was like, if I don't change what I'm doing, I'm literally going to become a statistic in a bad way. But then I also saw the reverse of that. And I also saw, I also could be a statistic, like I could be a story that people one day are looking at uh, if I'm able to turn these things around. And so I kind of had like a really intimate sort of like emotional transformation moment by myself when I was suicidal, when I was 18 in this really bad spot. And that eventually gave me the the foundation to just like start changing my life. And at that time, like I said, I had no idea what mental health was. I had no idea what I uh, like mindset was, what self-development was. I had no idea what any of these words that we use. The only thing that I was aware of was my physical body. And so I remember like standing in front of the mirror and like realizing, having a moment where I realized that I was overweight for the first time in my life. And so sort of the next logical step was just like, okay, how do, I, how do I lose this weight? And that led me down a rabbit hole of a lot. I won't get into it, but um, that led me down the rabbit hole of like really learning about the power of nutrition and food. And, you know, I was just always sort of taught that food is, isn't like, it doesn't really matter, you know, but if you eat too much food, then you're just going to gain weight and you don't want to be fat. And that was my only understanding of sort of food and nutrition. But once I started <laughs> to read books, this one book, for example, by uh, called Bulletproof by Dave Asprey, I basically just started to learn that, like, when you eat certain foods or when you eat anything, really, your body takes that and then it repurposes it and uses it to recode the rest of your body and your brain. It impacts your hormones, which then impact your neurotransmitters, which then directly lead to your brain, which then literally control the you know what your brain is doing. And so I just fell down this rabbit hole of like, wow. And and, and like, you know, one of the most interesting things as to, you know, maybe why I wasn't that good at school, for example, was I felt like whenever I was in a classroom or especially when I was waking up early in the morning, I felt like I had no focus whatsoever. And I remember feeling like this even in college, but. The moment I started to shift what I ate, I felt like I could finally focus for the first time in my life. It almost kind of felt like my brain turned on for this first time in my life when I completely stopped eating any kind of junk food. And I just started to eat just like whole natural foods, You know, no chemicals, nothing like that. And I felt like my brain turned on for the first time in my life, which all of a sudden gave me like the energy and the cognitive awareness and the focus to then be able to direct that towards what I wanted in my life. And basically what I realized was that so much of my life had gone by and I was, whether it was in a classroom or whether it was in a social situation, my brain simply just didn't have the energy to be able to, to be awakened, to sort of execute some basic tasks. And so Once I started to eat healthy, all of a sudden it felt like a part of my brain got unlocked. And once I started feeling that, then I started to tackle my social anxiety and I started to do different um, exposure therapy exercises of incrementally exposing myself to like random people. And there's like a whole thing I could get into if you want. But yeah, that was really the first step, you know? And so when I had that moment, I had like a very sort of slow, Common sense transformation where I was just like, okay, let me try to do that. Okay, let me try to do that. And I think, you know, I started to understand the brain, the body, the mind from a more like systems perspective, which is like, you know, for like my technology, computer science background. And so, like, Mm -hmm. once I started to think about it like that software, hardware, hardware is your brain, software is your mind. And I started to read different books that really began to unlock a lot of sort of life. And it sort of enabled me to. Learn how to use my brain, which is something that I was never taught ever. And it's almost like once I got that, then all of a sudden I I could learn and I could focus and I could do all the things that I wish I could have done earlier. Again, it's not because I was like some bad person. It's not like I was some kid who was like you know screw school. It's just like this was the environment that I happened to exist in, whether that was invisible or, or visible to the outside world. And it's just like so many kids. Are going through this today, like literally so many kids and, and like you know before COVID, I, I would go around and I'd speak at schools all the time, mostly mostly high schools, and I would just like see kids who literally were me, just like literally sitting in the back of the classroom. I can tell they they have no focus and' they're, they're not tired, and, and like the teacher's like yelling at them, even though I can tell that you know maybe it's just like their brain is malfunctioning and it's not working right. Um, and, and so it's such a common problem and it's such, it's one of those problems that's almost like invisible. And and I think, you know, in, in like with my book and, and with my podcast and all the things that I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to raise awareness about this stuff because, you know, just because y- you don't necessarily face this problem doesn't mean that potentially millions of people don't. And it's just super, it's super important to sort of raise awareness because it's uh it's an invisible problem that is, that is hurting a lot of people. And, There's a lot of people in our society that aren't getting the right help that they need because it's an invisible problem. So yeah, that's why I had to write this book. It's like literally such an important problem. And it's interesting. I've I've read a lot of books around this topic. And yeah, let's just say there's a lot of answers that need to be found.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's something that we don't teach. We don't teach mental health. We don't teach a lot about nutrition. Most schools, you know, aren't teaching mindset or how your brain works or how to optimize your brain. And that stuff that wherever you are in kind of the spectrum of how well we use our brain, I guess, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, yourself as a more extreme example. And you see those kids that are like you, but even those kids that are functioning well in school or are doing all the things they're supposed to be doing, Mm. like most of us can still benefit from understanding how nutrition affects our brain and how we can use food and use our environment and use our body and physical activity to impact and enhance and create more efficiency with our brain and the things that we do. And it's all stuff that's not really taught. You've got to go find it.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think, yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's a sense of realism. You know, like I, I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine who's a teacher and and now was saying like the same thing of like, oh, why don't they teach nutrition mindset in schools? And it's just <laughs> like, um, like there's, that's just not really very realistic because most of the teachers don't know that, you know? And so it's, it's, it's like a sort of reeducation for, for almost everyone. And so, yeah, it is super interesting for sure.
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's a much bigger problem and it's something that as an yeah. elementary school, we're teaching with our kids with growth mindset, with our handbook has a whole section on nutrition and please send wow. your kids to school with real food. Like, not, wow. I don't want to see packed full of candy and sugar. Like, we're starting those conversations, but we're, we're down to our last few minutes. And like I said, I do run an elementary school. And so I want to ask you one last question about elementary school. And if you have any memories or projects or teachers or things that stand out in your mind from being a positive experience from that time of your life.
2: Yeah, I remember in like third or fourth or fifth grade, <laughs> I remember somewhere around then They all blur um, together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, a lot of them were like lost. I had to recover them. But um, I have this memory of me going to the, uh, the Boston, New England Aquarium. And it's funny because I actually just went there last week. I remember just like seeing fish in the ocean. And um, I felt like that was like the most interesting world ever. And I remember after going there, I remember like my dad got me like these marine biology books. And I would just like literally sit there and I would just like memorize all the different kinds of fish. And I would just like know them and like what they would do and all like all like the craziest information about them then I remember going back to the aquarium with my family and then just like being able to like identify like all the fish and just like almost like falling in love with like a different world because I felt like it was uh it was super unique. And so mm-hmm. yeah, that's a memory that I have. And I and then I, like, I remember we went on like the strip and like we could touch the sandfish. We could like touch the uh we could touch like some kind of fish in like some touch pool ocean there. Sure. And I just remember it was like the coolest thing ever. And I remember like ever since experiencing that, whether it was like me and my family went to the beach or even we like I was just like walking around in like the forest or something, I always remember like I had like a sense of like adventure like I was always trying to like discover things I was always trying to like look at animals and like organisms and like to look at other things that were alive and be like, "Wow, that's so cool, like how's that thing alive so yeah <laughs> that's a that's a, that's a memory that i I remember here we' gotten that one before. <laughs>
1: Um, not that specific one, but it's pretty common that kids remember or adults remember field trips. And we know, like, when we look at learning, it's when you change that environment that we're learning in, Um, whether it's through a field trip, or whether it's through experiential education, that's what our brain remembers. And in your case, it inspired you to dig a lot deeper and really look into a completely different world and learn a lot more about organisms and, and really kind of fostered that interest and that love of learning, which is what they're designed to do. So
2: Woo. Mission <laughs> accomplished. that's exactly.
1: awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. This has been amazing. And there are so many more questions and things that we could dive into, but I don't want to take up any more of your time today. So I'm going to say thank you. And perhaps we can have another conversation at another point in time.
2: Yeah, it's just so much fun. Please let me know how I can support you and what you're doing with your elementary school and and anything else. This was awesome.
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the rebel educator podcast to learn more about us visit rebeleducator.com, where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive inclusive elementary school UP Academy at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead.